You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Okay. So I want to, I'm going to start a new little series here. Um, So we're going to just try and talk through some things this morning. So for the last, what, month and a half or two months or something, um, our men's group, we've been going through the book of Philippians, and there have just been a number of things that have really stood out to me uh, from those chapters. We've got one left that we'll be meeting on May 3rd, Tuesday, May 3rd, and covering the last chapter. But there were just some things as I was praying over this service this week uh, that the Lord really just began to take me back to and, and stir up on the inside of me out of the book of Philippians mostly. And so that's what I want to talk to you about uh, for a week or, or two here. And so, um, hold on, that's not the right, hang on, I may have to restart this. That is not correct. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. I just got to check these out. Yeah. So I somehow, I knew I did something weird this morning. I dragged a whole bunch of old slides up. This should still work out okay. I'll keep track of it. Um, no idea how I did that. Uh, so I want to talk to you about the fact that God completes everything he starts in us. And you, and you can look over at Philippians 1, 6 with me. For many of you, this is a familiar idea. Oh, God. don't try this at home. You've got to be less than really dumb to do this right. Okay. All right. There we go. Philippians 1, 6. Um, so this scripture, I'm just going to start here. We're going to launch into some other things. We'll come back to this. But so this verse in Philippians 1, 6, this is from the Amplified Bible. It says, and I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. So what the Lord is telling us there is that, and I think this is what he really wants us to get this morning, he is committed to our spiritual development. He initiated it. He had a plan for it. He saw you, right? Scripture tells us he knew you before you were ever knit together in your mother's womb. He had a plan and a purpose for your life. We so often put that off to somebody else that we think is more worthy, okay? We put that off to somebody else that we think is more spiritual. We put that off. I want you to stop it. <laughs> I want you to stop doing that because God has a plan for you. So as we talk about this, don't just read this word and think, oh, it's a great thing. That's for Susie. That's a great thing. That's for this person over here. No, this is God's word to you. The Lord himself is committed to your spiritual development. When I first got saved and first uh, came into the church, 
uh, which was some time after I got saved. But when I first started uh, attending a church that taught the word like this, um, that was still sort of an unusual message. Most of the time when uh, you heard preaching or teaching, it was about the need for us to be devoted to God. And of course, there's a truth there. We do need to be devoted to God. But it was unusual. It was sort of, uh, I think it was sort of considered arrogant or scary somehow on our part to realize that's true. We do need to be devoted to the Lord, but he is devoted to us. The, the, the reason we can be devoted to him was because he was first devoted to us. The reason we love him is because he first loved us. The reason we even have a clue as to what those things are in this context are because God did it first. We were not born again because we initiated something. We were born again because God did something and we responded to it, okay? So God initiated all this. It was his idea. So we don't have to feel awkward about admitting and declaring the truth. This is something I will never understand, is why the word of God can say something. God in his word can declare something over us and we'll be really nervous about accepting it as truth and reality about us. Because all of us, none of us are perfect, right? He knew that when he made these decisions. He knew that, that's the whole point of the word develop there is what God initiated in us, he is committed to developing, to continuing his work in us. And, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But the, the, problem, or the point is, as what he has started in us is developed, then more and more of his nature and his power and his purpose is seen through us. And we, you know, I think we've come to understand that we are the church. We are the hands and feet of Christ. He wants to manifest himself to people through us. And what he's doing in you is just as legitimate as what he's doing in anyone else. And it's, it's unique in a sense. There are things that are the same about the work that God does in each of us. I mean, his nature is the same, and that's what he's developing on the inside of us. But there are unique, there is a unique place for you. There's a unique place for me. There's a unique place for the gifting, the gift mix that he has put in us, the personality he's put in you, the environment, certainly the, the sphere of influence that he has given to you. There's a purpose for all of that. And he is committed to developing what he has planted in you, what he has started in you. So let me just back up from this. We'll come back to it in a couple of minutes. I want to talk to you for a few minutes just about the book of Philippians because, and this is true, most of what I'm going to say to you, I mean, it's true of every uh, letter that that Paul wrote. But I think as we, we're going to just sort of, we're not going to study the whole book. We're going to hit and miss through it. They're just specific things I feel like he wants us to touch on. But all of these letters that Paul wrote were letters in the first place. They were letters that were written to people he knew and had a relationship with. He, uh, you'll remember um, in this particular case with uh, the church at Philippi, back in Acts chapter 16, it tells us about Paul's whole experience of going 
to Philippi. And so they were, he and his team were looking uh, for where the Lord would have them go next. And they tried to go a couple different places and it says the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them go there. And I, I don't know how long a period that was, but I can just imagine it was a little frustrating because they know they're called. They know they're supposed to go. They're just not sure where. They want to be accurate with what they're doing and they just keep getting, nope, that's not the place. Well, then one night Paul has a dream or or it says a vision in the night uh, where this person from Macedonia, which is where Philippi was, was, was saying, come over here and, and speak to us. So he had this dream and determined that was God gave him that vision in the night and uh, calling them to Macedonia. So they went about getting to Macedonia. They went to Philippi. It was the first place they went. And it says that when they got to Philippi, they went out on the Sabbath to the river um, to where people were meeting to worship God because it was a totally Gentile city, Gentile environment. Bible scholars say that the fact that they had to go worship down by the river, live in a van down by the river, sorry. Uh, Anyway, the fact that they had to go and worship down by the river, in any city, if there were 10 Jewish men, they had to build a synagogue. So this tells us there were less than 10 Jewish men in the city at the time. This was a Gentile city that worshiped other gods. And so Paul went there, he began to preach, he began to minister uh, to people, and people began to get saved. And this was where uh, this girl followed them around for several days. She was demon-possessed, but she followed them around and said, I'm paraphrasing here, but she said, these guys are servants of the Most High God, listen to them, you know, and, and so what she was saying was true, but she was doing that in a way that was disruptive to what was going on. And Paul realized that was a demon spirit speaking through her, which is really, there's a good lesson there. It does, you know, I mean, demons lie, but they also disrupt. And so he recognized that he cast the demon out of her, which set her free, you know, well, her, she was a slave girl. Her owners got really upset because it took away, they made money off of her telling people's fortunes and things. And so that took away that money. So they got mad. And so they went to the magistrates, told, actually, if you read about what they said to the magistrates, they, they lied about what Paul and Silas were doing. But at any rate, so his ministering to this girl and setting her free got he and Silas thrown in jail and beaten with rods, which was a Roman punishment that I've read different things about. Essentially, they took sticks and just beat the tar out of you and broke a lot of bones. I've also heard sometimes it was the feet. They'd put your feet up and beat your feet and break all the bones in your feet, which is uncomfortable. So uh, so it was, So they went through all of that and then were thrown into jail. And this is the place where then, so after all of that, they're in jail at midnight, singing praises to God. And, and there's an earthquake, and the doors are opened to the jails, and, and the jailer was so freaked out by that because I can't imagine what punishment he was going to get. He assumed they'd all gotten away, and he was about to kill himself, about to fall on his own sword. And Paul said, hey, we're all still here. And he came in and took them and took care of their wounds and, and became a believer and and, it's, and it launched this whole ministry in Philippi. So then, 
I'll just finish this up. So I thought it was, I thought it was a great lesson also that then the magistrate, the next morning the leaders come back and they say, okay, you can let those guys go. Paul's a Roman citizen. What they did to him was completely illegal. And he said, oh no, you're, you're not going to beat us secretly and then turn us loose. You come in here and let us go and apologize publicly first. And I love that because he stood up for his rights as a citizen, but he didn't do it in an ugly way. He didn't do it with disrespect. He just stood for his rights as a citizen. There's a good lesson many of us could learn there, okay? He, he uh, demonstrated uh, the love of God and yet stood up for his rights, okay? So all of that took place. And so then he met with this church for some time and then they moved on to another uh, community. <clears throat> so that was the launch of this church that he's writing to. And so one of the major themes of this book, probably the major theme, is joy and rejoicing. It is living in the joy of the Lord. Here they were, can you imagine, beaten the way they were beaten in prison. They didn't know yet that they were going to get out. And they're there in the midst of that praising God because he's always worthy of praise. And there's such, we know from other scriptures, there's so much power in us developing that ability to just remember who God is when things are going really wrong. Because that's, God is still the same. God doesn't change. He is still on your side. He is still good. He is still all of those things. There is always a reason to praise and that is a powerful, powerful thing to do. When we praise God in the face of negative circumstances, that is a powerful, there is a powerful release there uh, that changes us first, but it can also certainly uh, change things around us. So, so when Paul writes these letters, all of his epistles, they're letters to people he knew. And so there's a lot of passion in them. And what I what I notice, I mean, sometimes he's a, sometimes he's angry about ways that these people are being attacked, uh, you know, various things. He's always passionate about their walk with God. He's in the verse we just read. He's assuring them. He says, "I'm convinced that God will finish what He started in you." He, he comes with these statements and he encourages. And what I want to remind us of this morning is that sometimes people look at that, and I mean, I've read different, if you read commentaries and things, always remember commentaries are great, but they're just somebody's comments. They're not the scripture. And uh, so anyway, sometimes they'll sort of naturalize all of that. Well, that's just Paul's emotions. Well, it is Paul's emotions, but we know that I'll just read it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed. It is given by divine inspiration. The things that Paul writes in these letters, they're scripture. So while, yeah, he's a, he's a human writing them down and he feels these things, these things were breathed into him by the Holy Spirit. When, when we... When we read, I'm convinced and sure of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will continue to the day of Jesus Christ. We're reading the heart of the Holy Spirit for us, not just Paul's heart. 
And we need to remember that. We need to remember as we look at these things, find to have insight into the person and the culture and all because the Lord is working through them. But this is God's word to us. It is God's heart for us that is coming through. Uh, let me just finish that because it's such a powerful. Second Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed. It is given by divine inspiration. It's really hard to dismiss chunks of the scripture if you accept the fact that it's God's word to you. That means there's something good in it for us. Uh, it goes on, says, it, and it is, the word is profitable for instruction. We need instruction. For conviction, sometimes we need conviction. It's, it's, the, it's the Holy Spirit coming and, and telling us maybe something is sin or this needs to change. We need to change course here. Uh, it, is, it is profitable for correction of error and restoration to obedience. Gets us back on the path. For training in righteousness. I love this. The Amplified puts us in. Learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately. I love that. We really need, we need to be living in conformity to God's will publicly and we need to be doing it without a religious spirit. There's a difference between loving God and, and just very naturally, I, I guess is what I want to say, calmly, naturally, being excited about God in public, praying for people in public, offering, you know, what the, what the Lord might want in public. And it doesn't have to be, we're not, it's not an in your face, it's not condemning, it's not, I'm going to argue with you about what you believe. It's not any of that. It's just offering who the Lord is. That should be so natural to us that it's, uh, you know, but living that way both publicly and privately. And that's, I guess, the other side of that one is sometimes we do it publicly, but not privately. You know, if our life at home is way different than our life in church, there's a problem there. You know, there's there's an issue there. We we are should be the same. That's what uh, not being a hypocrite is all about. You're you're the same inside and out, right? Got that? Or never mind. <laughs> Behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage. Moral courage. God give us more. So that the man of God, and that, that word man, by the way, is not gender or age specific. Uh, so the man of God may be complete and proficient, outfitted, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right. Another passage, actually, I'm going to go over there and read it to you. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, that's not right. I said second. It's First Corinthians. And it's First Corinthians chapter 2. I thought I slept well last night. First Corinthians chapter 2. I'm sure Second Corinthians chapter 1 is great too. Okay. Um, I'll start in verse 1. He says, when I came to you, this is of course to the Corinthian church. He says, when I came to you brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved, I love this, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. There was a lot of stuff that Paul knew and a lot of stuff he could have based his ministry on, but he chose to just make it about Christ. 
Verse 3, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. That's good to know because a lot of us do that when we're trying to minister. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So he didn't just have a good argument. There was a demonstration of the life and power of the Holy Spirit along with that message. Verse 6, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. Uh, let me just finish this. However, as it is written, no eye is seen, no ear is heard, no mind is conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. I just say all of that again to reinforce the fact that as we look at these letters that Paul writes, they're a letter, they're personal, there's a lot of passion, there's a lot of emotion in them, but they're breathed by the Holy Spirit. The things he wrote, the things he ministered came out of the heart of God. And what that does for us is we can recognize the word of God is for the Philippian church there. It's for us. It's a, you can make the word personal. It's for you. What he says here is for you. It's, it's true for you. So again, the, one of the primary themes is this idea of rejoicing and the deal with that is that joy, you can say it this way, joy is a noun. It's a thing, sort of. Rejoicing is a verb. Having joy in our hearts enables or causes rejoicing. We get to make a choice there about whether we're going to release the joy that's in our hearts. But joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not happiness. It's not an emotion. It'll cause emotions, but it's not an emotion. It is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Joy is not connected to circumstances. Joy like peace, like all of the fruit of the Spirit. But we talk often about peace, having peace. That's not circumstance driven. It's not circumstance related. It is a peace that comes from God and we can function out from it. Same thing with joy. Same thing with all of the fruit of, spirit, of the Spirit. And so it's something that the Holy Spirit produces on the inside of us. And if you think about fruit, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about fruit. It is the product of life in a tree. There's life on the inside and it produces fruit. That fruit is not for the tree. That fruit is to release and reproduce the life of the tree. Does that make sense to you? The fruit contains seed, and it goes and it makes another tree. It, it translates the life that's in the tree. It's the same thing with joy. When we live in joy, when we can sing praises to God, when life really stinks, and do it sincerely, do it out of the joy that's in our hearts, it is um, like peace it's unexplainable when it comes from God. There's no circumstantial reason sometimes for us to have joy, and yet there it is. That's the Holy Spirit working in us. It's a provision, and we can live out from it. Uh, the, the, the word basically means 
um, you know, joy itself is is a fruit of the spirit, but rejoicing it it it's this picture of just being exuberantly expressive of the joy that's in our hearts. It's this idea, and usually it's associated with with words, with praise, with actions, with activities. This is something that's available to us. We can live a life that rejoices. And and I'll tell you, you may not have noticed, there's a lot of negativity around us. There's a lot of negative conversation. There is a lot of just criticism and condemning of what everything from you know, the government to the environment we live in to other people to whatever. And it's sad. I don't say that critically. I, as I read this stuff online or, or whatever, I feel bad for people who always have a negative response that's coming out of their hearts. And they could have something better in there than that. And we certainly should be. You know, the scripture says, the blessing of the, with the blessing of the upright, the city prospers. It's when we're releasing blessing over our environment that what's on the end, what God has put on the inside of us uh, comes out and it only, you know, not only changes us, but it uh, changes things. In this book, in Philippians, Paul uses the word rejoice nine times in four chapters. He, he uses the term rejoiced past tense one time and joy six times. It's, and, and there's a lot about it. There's a lot of practical information in this book about how to live that way. So, so the theme of this book is not just that we can live happy lives, you know, um, but, but as God develops that work in us, we can live in joy and we can release that joy into the earth. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so let's go back to this verse and uh, pull a little more out of it. Philippians 1.6, again, it says, And I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. All right, so Paul says there, I am convinced. And and the idea in that word is, I mean, it's just what you would think, but it, it's like Paul is saying, there is no doubt whatsoever in my mind that God has begun a good work in you. It's a confidence in the nature of God. It's a confidence in why Christ came. It's a confidence in the relationship that we have with him. He says, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that number one, God has begun a good work in you. And number two, that he will continue developing it right up to the time Jesus comes back. God is never or I guess say it the other way, God is always faithful to his word and his work in us. Whether we feel it or not, whether we think we're growing well or not, God is being faithful. And when we just give ourselves a response to his faithfulness is what's necessary there, trusting that that he's doing exactly what he said he'd do. So that that phrase, good work, means an excellent work. There's an excellent work that started in you. There's a virtuous work. This ought to undo some shame, and it ought to convince us that God loves us. The fact that this is a this is a fact. All right, God has started a virtuous work in you. It means the best possible work. 
You know, God knows every one of us individually. And again, I, I, we talked about this earlier. He's gifted us in a certain way. He's shaped us in, and is shaping us in a certain way for our place in the body and our place of influence in the world. He, it's an amazing thing. We can all hear this same message and every one of us, if we're, if we're open to it, will be equipped in the way that we need to be equipped to do what God has called us to do. It's a, it's a phenomenal thing, walking with God. It's a, a beneficial work for you and for others that God has started in you. For you and for others, a beneficial work. It will benefit you. It will benefit your neighborhood. All right? It's a pleasant work and a useful work, a pleasant work. Sometimes we have to make changes that we're not real thrilled about, but if we're just responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, His grace will empower those changes. It's, this is never just trying to change things uh, to, in order to make ourselves more acceptable to God. Jesus already took care of that, all right? It is just walking with him, allowing him to change our lives. The, the, um, it says that he will always be developing this work. That means to finish out, to bring to full completion we, we have those pictures throughout the scripture. The kingdom of God in us, it's like a seed that's planted. And that seed has to put down roots and it has to grow. There's always development. The Christian life is a life of change. And, you know, we gather here. We gather to, to corporately receive and pull on what God has for us because we want to change. We want to grow. Living things grow and growing things change. I guess dead things change too, but it's not the kind of change that we want, okay? Um, the Passion Translation here says, God will continue putting his finishing touches on you. His finishing touches. You know, um, somebody who does finish work, whether it's on concrete or, or finished carpenter, that's what they do is they go in and they put all those final touches you know, there's a framework, but they make it beautiful. They finish it out. They complete it. When there's a restoration, you know, I read about restoration of ancient um, BMW motorcycles. And these guys will take them, they'll, they'll have pictures where they found them. It's always a barn find, you know. It's terrifying. You know, they're rusted there. I'm just thinking, oh, there's fuel in every passage in that thing, all gummed up. Ugh. I don't, I don't, I'm not a restorer in that way. But anyway, they'll bring these things home and they'll have the pictures. And I mean, they, they restore it to ex, the exact image of the creator, you know? I mean, it, it'll just be a beautiful creation at the, done, at the end. That's what God is doing on the inside of every one of us. And again, he had the picture of what that means for each one of us before he even started to knit us together. All right. So, they're really, knowing all that, it shouldn't leave much room for us um, to question his love for us or his faithfulness to us. And, and again, we can, I don't know how else to say it. I don't know how else to say it. Let's go over to Ephesians. We'll wrap this up here pretty quick. Ephesians chapter 2, another similar verse, verse 10. Ephesians two ten again from the Amplified Bible. It says, we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand, 
for us taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. I want to talk about that whole idea for the last few minutes that we have here. This idea of predestination or being predestined. Okay, a lot of people um, have been taught that what that means is something that God desires is inevitable. God predestined it. So it's just going to happen no matter what you do. It's really not what the scripture teaches about that whole idea. The idea of predestination is that God has prepared everything necessary for something that he desires to take place. I usually use the example of if if we're going to have a banquet, then we would come in there ahead, we would set up tables, we'd do the tablecloths, we'd put out the silverware, we'd arrange for the food and the drink and the, you know, everything. So that when people came in, everything was there for the for the banquet to take place. That's the idea of predestination. And there are those who have taken that idea and and the idea of God's sovereignty to such an extreme that they believe that only the people that God destined ahead to be saved will be saved. And in fact, if God has destined you to be saved, you will have faith and you will repent, whether you want to or not. They have, a, they have an idea contained within that that they call irresistible grace, which means if God destined before the world began that you were going to be saved, doesn't matter how hard you run from him, you will be saved. In other words, you have no will of your own. You have no desire of your own. I don't know why, because those same people still reach out to people, and I don't even understand that because it's like if it's good. Anyway, anyway. The point is, that's not what predestination means. So this verse is talking about we're his workmanship. And there are works, things for us to do, that he intended and planned for us to do. And he made all the preparation necessary for us to carry out and enjoy that life. This, this uh, the Amplified Bible uh, here says you know, that we would walk in those works that God predestined, planned beforehand, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time. So it's not even just the, whatever that work is, whatever that action, whatever that thing that we do, it's not even that, it's the whole path to it. God prepared everything for us to be able to take that path and along that path of growth and development, everything's there uh, that we need. And, And then it says, that we should walk in them living the good life, which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. John 10, 10 tells us, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. Uh, There are a number of places in the Old Testament that talk about the life of walking with God being a good life. And it always, it has, it's the idea of it is not only a life full of blessing, it is a life that increases. It is a life that goes from a lower place to a higher place, not the other way around. It is, um, you know, he called the promised land, a land that flows with milk and honey. And that term, uh, milk and honey, that phrase was, uh, used and, and known at the time it was written to milk and honey, re- referring to health and prosperity, abundance, that kind of thing. It's all through the scripture that 
that God wants a good life for us. And he made all the preparation for it. He's made all the pre- So how do we find that? We just seek first the kingdom of God and all, his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We just follow him. We just walk with him. We walk with him on a daily basis. That's where our our battle is, is not getting distracted, uh, not getting pulled aside, not getting pulled into something we shouldn't be involved in. God's always faithful and he's prearranged this stuff. And if we just walk with him, we'll walk into that purpose and that destiny that he has for us. It's when we start to instead trust in what we need to do. A lot of times it's because of needs. It's because of things we perceive as needs and we let those get out ahead of just pursuing God. And and don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean uh, you quit your job and pursue God. That doesn't mean you're not active. You're not busy in in the kingdom of God. And And the kingdom of God is in, you know, that's the center of everything in your life. It doesn't mean it's not a busy life, but it is a blessed life. There's a when we're walking in grace, there's there's I don't even know if I want to use the word ease. It's not always easy, but there is a there is a flow of life that we're walking in when we're just walking with the Lord. So our part is seeking him, seeking his heart, getting to know him better day by day, being in his word, being in prayer, and then expecting him to develop things in us, to develop new to point things out to us where he wants to flow. He wants to pray for someone. He wants to take groceries to our neighbors. He wants to bless somebody and he equips us to do all that. He wants you to walk with, to have a word of life, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom to take to your neighbor when they're struggling with something. You know, I mean, there's so many examples, but you are and I am, we are I feel like this is all God wants us to get today. We are his workmanship. One translation says you are his masterpiece. He is He is working in you. And so I just feel like God's heart for you today is don't discount that. Don't just set it on someone else. Don't just, you know, don't say, yeah, but. Or that's okay for them, but. No, it's true for you. And you have the opportunity to receive that truth to walk in that truth, and to watch God do what he says he will do. Did you get anything out of that? All right, why don't we stand up and pray this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. God, I I just pray this morning, Lord, your word is, is life and it is health and it is full of it. Father, Luke tells us that your word contains the ability to bring itself to pass. So wherever we fall in all of this, Lord, I trust this morning, Father, that you deposit good seed in us from the word, that you nurture that seed on the inside of us, and that, Lord, that word, we give it place. We give it first place. We set it above our own doubts and our own feelings maybe about ourselves or what someone else has said about us. We set those things aside and we accept you, what you are creator, the one who loves us more than anyone else says about us. And we stand in that. And we, we receive this word, Lord, that we are your workmanship. We are uh, a masterpiece that you are working and finishing. And, and it's not always comfortable for us to think that way. But God, 
It's your word. So we receive it and we ask you to transform the heart where we have, if there's a root of shame or discouragement or even just doubt and questioning on the inside of us, Lord, we turn that over to you. And we pray that anything that doesn't line up, any thought that does not line up with what you say, be rooted out of us and no longer drive us. But that, Father, we could all just... um, just marvel, just enjoy, just, Father, be so, uh, just in enjoying, God, what you are doing in us and through us and around us, Lord, enjoying this life with you, enjoying walking in this good life as it progresses along. And Lord, in all of that, I thank you, Father, and I just declare it today over all of us, Lord, You have begun a good work in every one of us. And Lord, we declare today, you are faithful to bring it to completion. There's no way we can do it apart from you, but we know it'll get done with you. So we thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're going to, on the count of three, we're going to say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world. We have some great snacks out there, great fellowship time. If you get out there quick, you can probably talk Michaela out of a cup of coffee. And um, anyway, you guys, I hope you'll hang around and enjoy one another. And then go out there and be the church of Jesus Christ this week. Let's say it on the count of three. Jesus, one, <laughs> two. Three, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. If you need prayer, come on up. Be happy to pray for you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.